Welcome to episode 110 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hadfield. And today, back by popular demand, we have the author of Sweat, Think, Go Faster and founder of Coda Nutrition, Mr. Daryl Griffiths. Now, Daryl and I will be discussing my results from uh, recent hydration and sweat testing provided by Coda Nutrition and the impact that will have on my hydration plans, nutrition plans, sodium plans moving forward with different races, including the Gold Coast Marathon, which I'll be having a crack at in a month or so. I get to compare my very sub-amateur numbers with Olympic marathoner Millie Clark's numbers uh, and really do detail why she's such an impressive athlete and, and the physiological factors that make her so. So some really interesting stuff there. We dive into some glycogen storage, uh, you know, so, some blood volume, some efficiencies, some biomechanics, and some really great physiological chat. We'll also pop over and have a chat to Scotty Hazelton, uh, who's heading up the Lonely Mountain Ultra, uh, the newest race on the calendar in, in beautiful downtown Orange, New South Wales. That's in October this year. So, so worth listening to the details there and we'll certainly be, be supporting Scotty along the way. Before we get Daryl on though, I'd like to thank our podcast partners, Guy Me Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, Fractel, Goo Energy, Running Matters Coaching, Raid Light, Ranala, Cronulla Bico, and Coda Nutrition, of course. So without further ado, we'll get Dale on the line. Enjoy. Okay. Welcome back to the podcast. Daryl Griffiths from Coda Nutrition. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, really well, mate. Starting to get a bit chilly down in Sydney. How are you uh, faring up on the Gold Coast? Yeah, I've actually been up here for nearly four weeks now. Um, and I think I've seen three hours of sun in those four weeks. <laughs> and it, that's uh, not because of cloud cover. That's because you're a busy man. No, it's cloud cover. <laughs> Mate, I, um, I, I'd really like the sun and haven't seen it for a while and it's starting to bother me. Yeah, mate, there's a certain uh, seasonal affective disorder about that, mate. Uh, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I've been on this planet nearly 55 years and I have never seen so much rain in my life. Yeah, I'm not, not quite a 55, but I certainly can't remember it either from, from our neck of the woods. It's, uh, it's outrageous. certainly makes trail running very difficult. And uh, as a consequence, I'm hitting the road and focusing on a, a road marathon for the first time in forever. So, yeah, there's, there's probably a little bit to chat about in terms of uh, nutrition, hydration in that respect. So that, that will be good to, to get stuck into. Um, and, and why are you up on the Gold Coast, Daryl? Um, it's just spending some time at the warehouse, just sorting some things out. Um, also, we... <laughs> Long story, but we sold our house in West Hobart and we're building next door. We had the block next door and we tried fairly um, robustly at trying to find a rental. Couldn't find one. So I said to my wife, how about we hook up the caravan and we uh, head north. And uh, so we've done that. We hooked the caravan up and we've been uh, living in that for the last five months. And it's actually been really enjoyable and uh 
you realize pretty quickly you don't need a lot of the stuff that you collect over the years. So oh, that's amazing, uh, mate. And so, how long have you been living out of the van for now? Uh, it's been five months. Okay. Um, so we expect it'll probably be maybe February next year. Hopefully, the house will be ready. Um, so yeah, we'll just travel around as long as we've got internet and access to the phone. Then mm. you know we're good to go. Mate, that's fantastic. I love that freedom. Uh, is, is the marriage stronger or weaker for it, mate? <laughs> Actually, it's been all right. I, the, the rain hasn't helped uh, because we're both outdoorsy. We like cycling and Steph loves her running. So um, I think we've been pretty well challenged and we're handling it quite well, I think, at the moment. Yeah, well done, mate. You're a braver man than I am, that's for sure. Um, and look, did you manage to get over to Bustleton? I saw Coda Nutrition were doing some work over at the Ironman there recently. No, our um, West Australian distributor, Simon Coates, looks after that space for us. Um, actually, Steph, my wife, has done 20 of those in a row um, of the half Ironmans there. Mm. So she finished just before COVID. She said 20 in a row is enough. And then um, it wasn't on for a couple of years. So it was good timing for her to stop. But yeah, we've been at that race for many, many years. Mate, that's fantastic. 20 in a row. That's some, uh, I guess, impressive longevity, but the ability to stay uninjured for that long is unbelievable. Yeah. And more impressive in that she couldn't swim 50 metres when we met. So uh, yeah, she did, she did very well. Mate, well done, Steph. And, and, and speaking of uh, being up at the factory, you're you mentioning just off air that uh, you, you've had a little bit of drama getting gels made and, and into the country. What's the story there, Darren? Yeah, just a roll on from not having our electrolyte tablets for, six, for 16 months. Um, yeah, so our gels are manufactured in Melbourne and with the close contact rules and that sort of thing, they're going to be, you know, 10 or 15 employees out at one time so it affects production everything slows down um so yeah we've been out of gels for a, a couple of weeks now so hopefully next week um we'll have them back on track mm-hmm. yeah fingers yeah. crossed i mean it's, it's certainly affected production lines across the world and, and and certainly australia so yeah fingers crossed you can get those back uh and running and the electrolyte tablets are are back now that uh it was it was a factory fire last time i was speaking to you that was halting production then yeah in in Moorbank, sydney we were manufacturing our tablets um and uh yeah that factory decided to uh burn down and um that was a that was a big challenge for us because we're doing so well up to that point and because we were worried about COVID and the effects of, you know, what, what may happen. But um, everyone moved from outside training to inside and you sweat sometimes two to three times the amount inside. Mm. And uh, so the tablets were going wonderfully well and we're thinking, oh, this is actually great. So a um, bit of a sigh of relief there, but then the fire that uh, just... I think we had about six weeks worth of stock that um, went pretty quickly once people people found out that we weren't um, able to manufacture for a while. So mm. good fun. 
Oh, mate, certainly some hurdles there. Quite unbelievable. Well, you know, fingers crossed we're back up and running with all all guns blazing very soon. Yes. Now, now, since I've chatted with you, we we had a had a great interview with Millie Clark, who's one of the Coda Nutrition uh, ambassadors, I suppose. Uh, she, she was such an impressive athlete, and I really thank you for hooking us up with her. And if any of the listeners want to go back and look up Millie Clark, she was she was a great conversation, really candid and open and an incredible athlete. Uh, how, how long have you been associated with Millie, Daryl? Uh, probably about five years. We met at um, Hamilton Island. Um, she was one of the ambassadors there for the Hilly Half Marathon. And um, I had never met her before. And we were sitting down and she said, are you the Daryl that, that, that wrote that book, Sweat, Think, Go Fast? And I said, oh, yeah. She said, oh that's such an awesome book. I read that before my first marathon and it made such a big difference. And I'm like, oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. And then from that, we started working together and uh, did the sweat testing and all that sort of stuff just to, to fine tune her hydration strategy for, for marathon. And yeah, that's, that's how it started. And she seems to have a great understanding of that aspect of her running, that's for sure. Um, and, and Millie's been good enough to offer up her uh, statistics and numbers to compare with my own for a little bit later in the show. So thank you, Millie, for yeah, kindly comparing yourself to my humble self. Um, now, I, I, I believe uh, another one of your ambassadors was also up there at the Hilly Half Marathon just this month. Um, Hanny Alston was, was, was up there in Hamilton Island. Yeah, um, that girl's a freak um, in a good way. Um, extraordinary physiological makeup, that girl. Um, and the things she does that most people don't even know about. Um, yeah, super impressive athlete. There's a lot going on down in Tassie. There's uh, yeah, a, a serious bit of action happening. It must be the water. <laughs> I think it's it maybe the clean air, mate. I don't know. Um, in particularly around Hobart, there's there's no flat. It's all hills, so I guess uh, just makes you strong. It has to, and she certainly is that. That's for sure. Watching her dominate six foot track and breaking that women's record was quite unbelievable. Um, now, apart from uh, interviewing Millie, I've also uh, been lucky enough to do one of the CODA sweat tests with with Maddie North. And so got, got all my numbers sorted out and uh, it's, it's really been very useful information uh, in, in running into the Gold Coast Marathon. Uh, I, I was wondering if you might be able to just briefly describe the sweat test to the listeners and how it goes about. Yeah, sure. We, we've got a, a sweat test kit that we've put together that we can send out to the athletes so they can actually do it themselves. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's quite a simple uh, process in that uh, you place sweat, te- sweat uh, patches on your inner forearms and you collect the sweat and you send that back to us and we analyze that and then provide the information um, and what that means to you in, in regards to your unique sodium concentration in sweat because everyone's is different. Um, also in that sweat test, it gives us an understanding of the volume of sweat that you lose as well. So doing pre and post weighing. And that way, it, it, from all the data we've collected over the years, we can sort of um, 
we can recognize with your low, moderate, heavy sweater, and then how to address those, those particular needs that are unique to that particular runner or athlete. So it's just having information rather than going into an event and guessing how much I should drink, how much sodium I should replace. You've got those numbers there and it makes it so much simpler to, uh, to put a plan together that suits you. And, and it was uh, such an amazing process. It was really well done and uh, incredibly sterile, you know, the amount of, you know, gloves and tweezers and little bags and all this stuff. So I, I assume that uh, any contamination makes a really big difference in terms of the numbers that come back to you. Yeah, spot on. That's, that's why we had that deionized, deionized water. What that does is it neutralizes the skin and takes any sodium that might be already on the skin from moisturizer or sunscreen or soap um, that way we're collecting only the sodium that's coming up through through the skin and not what's what might not already be on there mm-hmm. so yeah we, we've tested it really heavily over the years and as long as the athlete follows the processes um, you get a you get a very accurate number each time Mm, yeah, certainly. And, and I was very surprised, I guess, by my numbers. Um, and, and before we sort of dive into that, uh, it, it was a great process of having a chat with Harriet Brown after the fact to go through those numbers. So that was really valuable. And that's obviously part of the, the package that Coda provides. And I didn't realize when I was talking to Harriet what a high-level athlete she is in her own right. So <laughs> yeah. surf life-saving iron woman extraordinaire, and I'm sort of talking to her like she's some telephone operator. It was uh, quite humbling after the fact. Yeah. So um, Harriet studied exercise physiology, and we, we started working together uh, just before the Molokai to Oahu board paddle race. And uh, having studied exercise physiology, she didn't know anything about this. And in fact, you can spend four years at university and not learn any of this stuff, which I find um, quite odd, but because it's so important. Um, so we started working together and it turns out that she had very good numbers in that she's, she's almost, I think she might be 6'1 and you know, big frame, but she's not a heavy sweater. Um, and a sort of a moderate sodium concentration in a sweat. And I said to her, oh, you, you have very, very good numbers for the heat and the heat that you're going to experience in the Molokai event, um, it, it will suit you wonderfully. And she's like, no, nah, I'm not an endurance athlete. I did uh, cool and get a gold and ended up on a saline drip. And we talked about what she did there. And I said, well, the numbers don't lie. You, you will perform well. You have good numbers for the heat. And uh, so we worked together for that event and she, she won that event. I should think she broke the record that year. And I think she was sixth overall. So there was only five men in front of her, which is extraordinary. Um, and then she went on to win it another two times. I think she's won it three times now. So Harriet is the, um, uh, that's who you talk to about your numbers and what they mean once you've done the test. Yeah, well, that's uh, there's certainly some value in that three-time Molokai winner telling you how to do things. That's fantastic. <laughs> and look, I guess, yeah, I, I, I was surprised by how much uh, salt there was in my sweat. So I, I came out with 1,380 milligrams per litre of sweat, which put me in the moderate to high range. Uh, I, I wouldn't have picked that if you had have asked me i don't think 
Um, and, and I lost 1.8 litres in that hour. So running on the treadmill. So I was in, inside at about 25 degrees and 50% humidity. Uh, so it was explained that I would lose much less sweat than that or some, you know, some less sweat than that outside. But, yeah, that was surprising as well. It's quite a lot of fluid loss in that hour. Yeah, I'm assuming you didn't have a fan on. Is that is that right? Is no, that no, static. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the actual sweat rate, then um, the reason we do that is that having just your sodium concentration in sweat, just having that number, is only part of the story. So your 1380 milligrams—that's how much sodium is in one liter of sweat that you lose. So in that um, in that one hour test. 1.8 liters you then multiply your 1.8 by your sodium concentration which was 1380 milligrams and that gives you a loss of 2800 sorry 2484 milligrams in that one hour mm, significant. so yeah it's important that um you have to have an understanding of your sweat rate as well and then that gives you an understanding of how much you're losing an hour mm. so what harriet meant by your sweat rate outside will likely be a bit lower because you've got that air moving across your skin and you've got that evaporation of sweat. And you're not just in a room where there's no, um, no evaporation of sweat. You haven't got that air sort of um, moving across you to help with that thermoregulation. Yeah. So, um, for example, you know, your sweat rate, and this is only hypothetical, your sweat rate might have been one litre an hour if you were running outside. Mm-hmm. So this is why we ask athletes to go, okay, now we know your sodium concentration. When you're out running next time outside, start to collect your sweat rate in different temperatures. That way you'll get a real good indication of um, how much you sweat in those different environmental conditions. So for example, if it was one liter per hour, it's one liter times 1,430 milligrams. So you're losing 1,430 milligrams every hour. Mm. Yeah, that's Um, yeah, and, and I did I did go out and do uh, a pre and post way outside just to check that sort of process, and it, it wasn't quite twenty five degrees, so it was twenty one degrees. But yeah, I, I was really close to that liter of uh, sweat lost in in the hour there. So a significant difference between you know four degrees on the on the temperature gauge and from inside to outside, uh, it was roughly yeah, eight hundred mils different sweat loss for the hour so significant change anyway was it at a similar intensity as well yeah very much the same. yeah yeah so they're, they're the two factors that will dictate how much you sweat is the intensity the pace at which you run and the environmental conditions yeah. um so if you if you had to run at 21 degrees but with a 90 percent humidity um it would have been a way different number that because that's likely what you're going to experience here at the Gold Coast is um, historically um, it's sort of around that 18 degrees and that sort of 85 to 90% humidity. Mm-hmm. And just a swing in 15% humidity can make a big difference to your sweat rate. So um, that's, uh, that's something that you need to take into account for this GC marathon. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and look, I, I guess... The, the practicality of that, um, you know, I'm, I'm losing that much sweat over that period of time. 
how much should I be replacing there, Darren? So let's assume um, that it's 1.5. Let's, let's, let's hop in the middle there. Let's say it's 1.5 litres an hour in conditions similar to what you're going to experience at, um, on the, during the marathon. Now, what we've recognised over the years is that you can consume around about 50 to 60% of your loss. Now, um, which would put you up around about that 750 mil mark. Mm-hmm. Um, now, running, logistically difficult. And this is why um, nutrition, nutrition and hydration are so important for running in that your stomach um, has limitations. And it's even more limited when you run because it's just like a washing machine. So if you were sort of estimating that 1.5 litre loss an hour, what you would what you'd attempt to do in your training is, right, I'm going to mimic my race day nutrition or hydration strategy, and I'm going to aim for that 750 mil an hour. Um, I'm going to aim for replacing a similar amount of sodium as well. So for yourself, uh, with your 1,380 milligram loss, you'll sort of aim for sort of 600 to 700 milligrams of sodium, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to about a tablet and a half of the electrolyte tablets. Yep. Um, that'll give you around 615 milligrams. Um, you might even put two tablets in, which will get you sort of up around 860 milligrams. It's going to come down then to what your preference is and how your stomach tolerates that extra sodium. Um, practice that 750 mil in your training and just see how your stomach tolerates it. You might go, that's perfect. My stomach was fine. I didn't have any issues or actually, no, I felt like it was a bit too much. I might back that off to 600 mil Um, because the key is to minimize percentage of loss, but not compromise the stomach. That's the key. And that can only be done through some trial and error, but I guess starting from that that base point that, that the test provides is really valuable. Um, how, how did my numbers then compare to uh, the great Millie class? Well, your sodium concentration is quite a bit lower than Millie's. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting thing. So Millie loses 19, uh, 1,914 milligrams for every one litre of sweat. Wow. She has a very high sodium concentration in her sweat. Here's the advantage that Millie has over you is that in similar conditions, um, this is with an average heart rate of 180, so it was solid, she only lost 600 mils of fluid. Wow. So, so a third the volume. So even though her sodium concentration is very high, her sweat rate is super low. So that's her, that's her power. That's her... Um, uh, advantage when she's running in hot conditions like she experienced at Rio mm-hmm. is she simply doesn't lose as much sweat as those other girls do. Mm. So when we go back to that calculation, so uh, 0.6 of a litre, 600 mils times 1914 milligrams equals 1148 milligrams of sodium. So even though her concentration of sodium is much higher than yours, the cumulative amount she's losing is a lot less than yours. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's an advantage that she has is simply she doesn't she I think she's just able to operate at a very high core temperature 
and not and doesn't need to lose a lot of sweat to maintain a safe core temperature. Mm. And I imagine that comes down to um, muscle mass certain ways too, like the amount of heat you're producing. Um, yeah, I, there's there's some 85, 90 kilo athletes I've worked with who have very low sweat rates. Mm-hmm. Um, if you looked at Harriet Brown, um, that th- th- she has a big frame. She's she's a you know there's a lot of surface area there, mm-hmm. but has a very low sweat rate. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, conversely, I've worked with athletes, not quite the size of Millie, but not too far off, who have very high sweat rates. So there's no real pattern. It's it's there's so many variables. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and, and I imagine it's it's a real advantage in something like the marathon where hydration is is quite uh, available, but you know, drinking very small cups of water, it, it's quite difficult to get a lot of fluid in while you're running a marathon there. Yeah, so that's um so with with Millie now, um, she has a quite a high concentration of sodium in her drinks. So we're we're managing that. But the advantage of her is the volume she needs to drink isn't as much as what others would would require. Mm-hmm. So she's just yeah. taking small chunks of the Dead Sea, basically, and putting that in a cup. <laughs> yeah. So we'll you know we'll put um, you know, two and a half to three tablets in a small flask. Wow. So it's highly concentrated, and then she'll chase water with that. Yeah. And, and she uh, she tolerates that that saltiness. We were talking about that palatability last time. That, yeah. that feels normal for her. It does. And that, that we did talk about that palatability in that if I gave um, uh, someone with a low sodium concentration in their sweat that same mix, they would find it unpalatable. But interestingly, people with high sodium concentrations in their sweat, they find those high concentration of sodium very palatable and and i sort of recognize that myself in this sort of moderate to high range of sodium concentration over the last couple of years i've tended towards that saltier kind of mix of of electrolyte drink for ultras and 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 shorter races as well uh and and that's just felt normal and i think that palatability really played into it I, i sort of knew what i needed in a sense yeah yeah, it, um, after, after a while, you start to get an idea of, of what seems to work. But having that number now, you'll be able to address your needs so much better than you probably had in the past. Um, and the closer you get to that number, um, you know, the less likely that sodium loss will impact on, on muscle function mm. throughout the back end of that uh, marathon. Yeah, and look, it's certainly been successful without having that number just to bump that sodium concentration up the last couple of years. I've had some better races, and I think largely as a consequence of that change. So, yeah, like I say, uh, whittling that down even further to specific numbers I think will make a big difference. Um, I guess we'll move on to calorie content, which we're also testing during the... uh, during the test, during the coda testing process. So within that hour of, you know, moderate to high intensity, I was losing 823 calories per hour. Uh, I, I think that's going to be slightly higher on race day in the marathon, but on, on previous races, it's it's been something around 900 calories per hour has been pretty common for me. 
Uh, how much am I trying to replace that 900 cal- calories lost there, Darren? Yeah, so there's there's always going to be a big gap between your calorie expenditure and, and how many calories your stomach can tolerate. So for a runner, again, um, cyclists can take on a lot more calories simply because their stomach's nice and relaxed. Um, for a runner, unfortunately, um, at best, you, you can you could sort of aim for around about 250 calories an hour. Um, that's, that's an amount that a fast runner would aim for. Um, but remembering that you've got internal stores that you can access, and that is uh, fatty acids, that is your glycogen and circulating blood glucose. So you have internal stores you can access, but um, that's where there's uniqueness with all runners or athletes as well, because you're going to have athletes or some athletes that have a much higher storage capacity of glycogen than others. Mm -hmm. They simply store more glycogen and they have more to access. That's not because they've trained any harder or prepared any differently. It's just their physiological makeup. So if you look at the runners that, you know, like Millie are running, so the two twenties, high two twenties, that sort of thing, even though she's a small frame, uh, she has, uh, you know, a, 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 a very high reserves of glycogen that she can access to be able to run at that intensity for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Because at that intensity, you're not burning a lot of fat. You just simply, requ- fat simply requires too much oxygen to be able to be accessed at that intensity. Mm-hmm. So um, with Millie, she can get away with, you know, two, sometimes three gels through a marathon where someone else a similar frame might need four or five so it's 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 very um individual and what i would be doing if i was losing that eight to nine hundred calories an hour i would be trying to consume as much as many calories as i could without sort of compromising the stomach and that's sort of that 250 to 290 calories an hour I'd aim for that in training and just see how my stomach tolerated that Hmm. because the better that you can manage your calorie intake, then you're more likely to run that last 10 to 12 Ks out better than you would otherwise. So if we can spare some of that stored glycogen to help you maintain that in that pace to get you to the finish line and not fall apart in that last 10 Ks where majority of people do that's the key and that means taking your calories early not waiting until 20ks into the run before you take them hmm. you need to take them early so you minimize your percentage of loss up until that sort of 28 to 32k mark hmm. yeah no it's great it's great great advice and, and look i guess where i've sort of landed on once again intuitively i've been sort of taking a gel an hour roughly a gel every half an hour i should say roughly um, the advantage of the coated gels that I've found is they've got a little bit more calorie per serve there. So I'm sort of ending up with closer to 240 calories an hour with the two gels, one, one every half an hour. Um, 
It's it's funny. I, I suppose you you move towards these nice round numbers in terms of when you're taking this nutrition in. But is there value in me sort of breaking that down to a 25 minute sort of process? Do you think? It it really depends on how your stomach's tolerating that one gel every 30 minutes, um, which is giving you around about the like you say that 230 to 40 calories. Um, it is all about timing. And if you were to take one every 25 minutes, that would get you to that 290 calories an hour. Now, is that going to compromise your stomach or is that going to bridge the gap just a little bit more to your expenditure and you'd be much stronger in that last 12 to you know, 14 Ks where things generally start to uh, fall apart. So that's, that's the key. We want to be able to get you to that sort of 28 to 32K mark is where the race starts for a lot of people. Um, and if we can spare that glycogen um, and be able to access that circulating blood glucose, because the muscles will prefer to access that circulating, circulating blood glucose than it does the, the stored glycogen. It's very frugal. It's, it doesn't want to give it up. And an example of that is that you can have massive amounts of glycogen stored in your muscles, in your shoulders, in your arms. And once those legs run out of glycogen, it doesn't release from other muscles to go and help your legs. It's just like, no, nah, no, nah, we, we're saving ours for later on where you might need us. So too bad that you've run out of the glycogen in your legs. We're not, we're not handing it over. So um, it's, it's understanding that if you can bridge that gap without compromising the stomach, then you're more likely to finish that marathon off at a, at a pace that you've set. Yeah, I, I like that too. And I, and I think it's certainly worth tinkering with, you know, bringing it down from half an hour to 25 minutes just in order to, to bump from, you know, like, like, like you say, 240 to 290 calories in an hour. That's a significant percentage change. Uh, and if the stomach tolerates it, then happy days, I guess. The the more, the merrier. Yeah. So that, um, you know, over two hours, that's another, what's that, 100, 120 calories. Mm -hmm. Now, is that the difference between because it can be just a, it can be just small margins that make the difference, and and a lot of athletes and runners, especially over time, have been fan, feeling fantastic thinking, oh, yeah, I'm on for a really good time. And within one kilometre, they're going backwards. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a lot to go from running, you know, the pace that you want to be holding to realise the time that you've set to be running 15, 20 seconds a K slower within a kilometre of that just from whether it's blood volume loss from not drinking enough, whether it's the sodium concentration of your blood dropping that your muscles aren't functioning as well, or it could be just a matter of you missed one gel at a station and that's just that hundred and hundred odd calories that made the difference. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it, it tends to uh, with running, it doesn't really creep up on you. It just hits you like a, like a slab. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly why they call it the wall, mate. Like it's, yeah. uh, it's just right there in front of you. Um, I, I'd like to, as once again, compare those numbers with Millie's. But before we do that, I'm just going to uh, 
shoot across to Scott Theon Hazelton and, and Maddie North just to have a quick chat about the upcoming event over in beautiful sunny Orange, the Lonely Mountain Ultra on October 15th. So I'll come back to Daryl in a sec. All right, I'm with Scotty Hazelton live in Orange. How are you, Scotty? Great, thanks, Maddie. Thrilled to be uh, back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Um, always nice to chat. So we're talking about the Lonely Mountain Ultra. We sure are. Yep. Uh, the newest trail running event to hit the scene in Oz, mate. We've got a great team. Been working really hard since, oh, gee, before Christmas uh, to to really launch a, what's hopefully a, a really well-run event, the Lonely Mountain Ultra, just out of Orange. Nice one, mate. Um, what are the What are the dates for the event? Yeah, so lock into your calendar, October 15th and 16th uh, is the weekend of the event. Uh, those that have been following our socials would have seen that we did originally have uh, 29th of October, but UTA, our friends over at UTA, with all the trouble they've had with rain and closures, have re, uh, redated their event to that one. So we've decided not to compete with them, uh, and we've brought ours two weeks forward this year. So... If you're coming around the Lonely Mountain, uh, you might be looking at the 100 in, say, UTA, a great opportunity two weeks before to go and have a good hit out on, on many of the distances that we're going to offer. Nice one. And so can you um, can you go through what distances are on at your event? Yeah, look, really excited. The race concept, Matt, is that we have a, a race hub, a village, and uh, if you're running Lonely Mountain Ultra, uh, you run loops, all of which come back through the same village. So it really helps people... Uh, to set up their nutrition, uh, that you don't have to worry too much about things like drop bags and being really organised in that space for different areas. Like some races, you're going to run through that race village over and over. Um, the, the longer the distance you have, the more times you'll be able to visit your, your, your race hub. So uh, people can enter the 11K, uh, which is obviously just one loop. It's a unique loop. We then offer a 22. Uh, there's a 30K distance, a 50K. We're really excited to offer a 50-mile event uh, for those that want to tackle we often hear that people might have knocked over a 50k they're not sure if they can really pull off 100k they, they want something in between and if you, if you know the running scene there's not a lot uh, that's on offer between 50 and 100k so we're offering a 50 mile uh, and then the big one of course is the lonely mountain ultra 100 kilometer uh, race and so we've got different loops set up uh, and say for example let's take the 100 uh, you'd set out on the 50k loop uh, you come back through the race village. There's obviously checkpoints and aid stations out on that 50k loop. Uh, and then you'd head out on the 30-kilometer loop, which is a unique loop. You come back through at about that 80k point, and then you finish off doing the 22-kilometer loop. Uh, and so then by that stage, you would have knocked up your 100ks, and, and that's our big blue ribbon event. Nice one. And so <clears throat> we're chatting before. People can, can actually come up and camp in the race hub. That's right. We really want to encourage people to come out. We're going to offer camping on site. Uh, we've done a lot of work with the whole race village and the hub concept. So, yeah, if you want to come up and camp, set up with family, you know, you might want to say tackle the 22K. Uh, we're going to have a kids race as well. Um, so bring the family and they can, you know, we're going to celebrate them, give them a really good two-kilometre kids race. Uh, and you can set up for the weekend. Uh, we're going to have really good camping facilities um, and obviously toilets. We're looking at how we do the portable showers really well, running water, Great little sites to camp and just enjoy the vibe all weekend. We're going to have a heap of exhibitors there, the odd local microbrewery, some wineries, uh, really good food we're committed to all weekend. So, yeah, the idea is get out there, enjoy the whole weekend. So there will be a bar? 
for you, mate. We'll make it happen. Beautiful, beautiful. Very important, very important. Ah. <laughs> um, mate, that sounds awesome. So your entries are open. Where do, where do people go if they want to enter the event? So by the time this episode drops, I think they will be open. Uh, so at the moment, the, the, the two best places to keep up to date with our info is we're on Facebook. If you just search Lonely Mountain Ultra, you'll find us there. Uh, we're also on Insta, uh, the same again, Lonely Mountain Ultra. Uh, and our website uh, is Lonely Mountain Ultra as well. If you Google that, uh, as we speak right now, what's the 24th of April, that website's not readily available. But as soon as it goes live, we'll push that on our socials and, and let people know. Uh, at the moment, if you go onto our socials, you'll see there is a link you can click to go onto our mailing list so that you get first dibs at entries when they do open. Uh, it's likely that our entries will be live on the 1st of May. Oh, beautiful. So in a week's time. That's it. Excellent. Well, that's exciting, mate. Um, I'll, I'll be definitely coming up. I'll definitely be camping at the hub, and I look forward to probably participating in the 22K. Put you down for the 100, Matty. No worries. Yeah. Um, now, we're going to look after the Running Matters listeners as well. Uh, breaking news, um, how about we do you a deal with a bit of a secret code to get a discount? Oh, mate. Sounds great. What do you got there? Okay. So, RM10, RM10. If you pop that in at checkout, uh, we're going to give you a 10% off discount for the, for the fans of the show. Fantastic. That's awesome, mate. We've got some really good merch too. Um, a lot of designers have gone in already. We've got, uh, we've got shirts, we've got buffs. Uh, we've, we've got some really exciting um, prizes uh, for all the different categories as well. So we're getting really good support. We've already got lots of sponsorship over the line. So it, it's, we're, we're really committing to running a, a pretty schmick event. Excellent. Looking forward to participating in the first one. Mm. Yeah, it'd be great to have you out. Thanks, Matt. No worries. All right, well, thanks for your time, Scotty. Thanks for uh, sharing that discount code, RM10. And um, hopefully there'll be plenty of uh, Running Matters listeners that will sign up. No doubt. And thanks again for your support, Matt. It's great to be able to uh, offer another running option and it'll be great to see as many people out there as we can get. I, I do think it's going to sell out. Uh, so I would recommend getting on that mailing list and getting your entry in for October 15th. How many um, entries do you have? That I can't reveal right now. It's just because I really want to... Um, make sure we do the right thing by national parks we're working really closely with national parks and forestry and that's part of their decision making process with risk assessment uh so i, I can hint at we, we we're going to have a large number of entries um so think big but i can't tell you exactly how many until they've given us their final sign off uh, oh. but yeah this isn't going to just be a small you know 40 people running around the bush in some uh town it's going to be a pretty big event excellent all right that's, that sounds great. Thanks, Scotty. Uh, catch up with you soon. Can't wait, buddy. Thanks, mate. Okay. Thanks, Scotty and Matt. Looks like a, uh, a good event to get, get amongst, guys. So, yeah, can we, uh, can we reveal what sort of numbers Millie's burning through in an hour at, at marathon intensity? What, what's her calorie count look like? Yeah, so it's not too much because I think she's – 45 kilo or something like that so not a huge frame mm -hmm. she's up around about that sort of 700 calories an hour um which is still high for someone of that size mm. um and that's the thing it's when you are talking about calorie expenditure um it's not a blanket oh well you know just take this amount because everyone's going to be different they're 
digestive system is very different. Um, some have a robust digestive system and they can consume anything and uh, others need to be a bit more careful about what they consume and how often. So, you know, but the biggest message is that once you do come, once you do put a plan together, that uh, you, you practice it a few times um, in your training at race intensity, there's no point doing it at, you know, five minute Ks if you're planning to run four minute Ks in the race. So um, your key sessions where you're running cl as close to race pace as possible, um, that way, you know, you're, you're putting your body under the, the, the pressure that it's going to be experiencing on race day, albeit the nerves aren't there, but um, it's, it gives you a good understanding of, of what your stomach can tolerate um, and make as many mistakes as you can while you train to avoid them on race day. Yeah, for sure. And look, I guess even logistically, just sort of grabbing gels at four minute Ks, say, and, and going through that process that you're going to go through on race day is important. Now, it's easy to plot along at five or six minute Ks and sort of get your nutrition and hydration in logistically. But yeah, it does get a bit trickier when you're moving faster. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, and it's something that, you know, there's different methods as well. So, you know, you might just take half the gel and just hold it in your mouth for a little while uh, and the saliva will break it down a bit more and it's a bit easier to swallow or you might not have any trouble at all taking a gel and you just take the whole lot at one time. Um, yeah, it, we're all just so wildly different that um, it's, it's, it's good just to try different methods in your training just to see how you tolerate it. Um, but yeah, you spot on practicing um, accessing gels and that sort of thing is, uh, yeah, if you can, if you can practice all that stuff and go into a race, being confident that you can, you know, not even just look down, just rip the top off straight in the mouth. Then, you know, the more, more often you do it, the more easier it becomes in uh, during the race as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, Going back to some hydration aspects and practicality-wise, we talked a lot about sort of ultra trail running last time uh, in terms of that hydration, which is obviously a lot easier to access hydration. Uh, you know, you're carrying a camel pack with you in most of these races. Do, do you encourage, I guess, your, you know, your longer road stuff, your marathon runners to use bottles somehow, or, or are you sort of advising them to get that water in through cups as well? Yeah, there's um there's a lot more road runners now using the vests I'm seeing now, um, particularly over summer where it's a lot hotter and sweat rates are, are much higher. They're realizing now if if they hydrate well during their long runs in the summer, they just recover so much quicker. Um, so the uh, the 500 mil flasks um, bottles are becoming a bit more popular with the vests, um, even for so the roads roadies who before, you know, sort of had the, you know, oh, I did the two-hour run or I didn't drink anything or, you know, that sort of thing, which, you know, some people can get away with that because they have a super low sweat rate, but it shouldn't be something you aim for because it just means you're going to have to recover. It, it takes much longer to recover after a run. If, if you can take on some calories and some hydration during your longer runs in training, it just means you're going to recover so much quicker. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that if you've got a huge base of running 
over you know a four or six week uh, block, then the better you uh, manage your losses in those longer runs, the quicker you're going to recover for your next session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, less stress on, on the body in that aspect is, is worth aiming for. We, we certainly don't need any more stress than, than necessary in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. just wanted to know, I, I guess also, how long does it take to rehydrate? You know, let's say you have a two-hour run with nothing. We're not obviously able to get that back straight away. That's going to take some time, right? Yeah, so if you've lost a couple of litres in that, in that long run, then obviously you've got to replace that two liters and you don't automatically stop sweating as soon as you finish. Mm-hmm. You're still sweating until you start to cool down, you know, which could be maybe an even an hour later. So, you know, it might be that you need three liters um, to replace what you've lost in that longer run, particularly in hotter conditions. Um, so just understanding that that sweat loss is directly correlated with blood volume loss. So you've got less blood available and that's our life source. So if, if you can just imagine that sweat that's leaving your body, if it was colored red, you'd be, you'd be paying a lot more attention to it because that's basically what it is. You've got less blood available. So that's, that's something to be thinking about when, um, when you're planning your hydration strategy is minimize blood volume loss. I, I would certainly be very concerned if I was sweating out red liquid. That's for sure, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, I guess that, that replacement is on top of your day-to-day hydration that's necessary just for life, like you say. So you, you really are having to suck back a lot of fluid afterwards after that long run. Um, you mentioned, uh, I guess, last time that finding an appropriate pace based on your, you know, your, your hydration numbers or your salt numbers or your calorie numbers was was part of it. I mean, I've sort of picked out three hours out of the ether because it's a nice round number, um, and it'd be nice to tick that one off before I'm too old to do so. Uh, how appropriate, I guess. What are the factors that lead into finding that number as an appropriate goal? Yeah, I guess, um, firstly, if you can maintain that pace over 42, 42.2 Ks to realize that, uh, that three-hour time. Um, so, firstly, you know, can you run a half marathon in, uh, in an hour 30? Mm. Um, that's the first question um, because... Yeah. <laughs> Can you run a half marathon in an hour? Yeah, it's been done before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But that probably needs to be um, an hour 30 comfortably mm. that you can then maintain that same pace for another, for another 21.1 kilometers. Mm. Um, so it's being realistic about your goals. Um, if you feel that you can comfortably run that first half in, in 125, that gives you five minutes up your sleeve. Um, for that back for the back end, then that's that's what I'd be aiming for, and that's what um, with my training uh, program, um, they're the numbers that I'd be trying to hit, sort of three or four weeks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I think that's that's going to be the goal for sure. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Good. Well, you've got to you've got to have a goal. You've, it's there's no point doing it unless you, you you've got a goal to run to. 
No, no, that's right. And look, I guess in terms of uh, ability to take on calories and fluid at that pace, how, how important is that aspect? Yeah, well, obviously, the faster you're running, the more difficult um, it is to consume those sort of products. But you're also out there for a lot less time as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something to consider in that you don't have to take it. it, it you're probably going to take your last gel at maybe around about that sort of 30, 30 odd K mark mm-hmm. that maybe 32 with uh, 10 to go. Uh, you might have one sneaky one left over just in case you need it in that last sort of 5 K, mm-hmm. but your plan's going to be up until at, at that 32 K mark. And then, you know, you, it's just, you just let it all go in that last sort of eight, eight or 10 K. Um, so from that perspective, you're not planning your hydration and nutrition up to that 42.2 K mark. It's up into that 32 K mark. And then, you know, mentally, if you're feeling good at that point, you just bury yourself to the, to the finish. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that, you know, at you know, four, what about four fifteen pace yeah. that, um, that you're going to be having to hold that, uh, you know, you comfortably can hold that four fifteen pace to the finish. And on, on that, there is no value in taking gels within that last 10 kilometres. You're not absorbing it quick enough to be useful. Oh, it's, it's really dependent on how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, my advice to a lot of runners is that's when you sort of start your caffeine in that last, that last gel is when you sort of start the, the 80, we've got 80 milligrams of caffeine in our caffeinated gels, mm-hmm. which doesn't actually give you any energy. Caffeine won't give you energy. All it does is alter the perception of how you feel. So it's when those negative thoughts start to creep in. That's when you start on your caffeine and not any, not any time before. Mm-hmm. And what that caffeine does, it helps to numb those negative thoughts. But again, <clears throat> everyone's so different. Some athletes won't have any response to caffeine at all. It, it doesn't do anything for them. In fact, for some athletes, it can put them to sleep within half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, others have a mild response and others just have an absolute, uh, they go nuts on it. It's just like rocket fuel to them. So mm-hmm. it's practicing that in your training too and see how you respond to caffeine. Um, but in a marathon, the key is not to take it too early because you're more likely to run at an intensity beyond what you should be. Because you're all jacked up, you feel, oh, this is great. I can run four-minute pace here. I'm feeling fantastic. That wasn't your goal in the first place. There's no, there's no reason to be running four-minute Ks if your goal is three hours. Um, so um, it's just when that mental fatigue kicks in, it, that's when caffeine is, is, can be quite beneficial. Yeah, and I guess there's always that danger of the come down effect. Once you've reached the peak of that caffeine's usefulness, you, you don't want to hit that uh, that mark at the 32k mark either. You, you want to be everything moving forward rather than coming down off the peak. Absolutely, yeah. So it's yeah, there's there's certainly times to take caffeine and times not to. Mm-hmm. And, and where did you arrive at? I guess 80 milligrams in terms of that that gel's caffeine content is that just a largely tolerable level or, or is there some science in terms of uh, fatiguing there? Yeah, it was, it was finding an amount that the majority of athletes that I was working with found that there was a benefit. Mm. So sort of playing around with 25 milligrams 
wasn't really providing much at all. 40 milligrams was the same. Um, there were some that were getting, you know, a, a response from 40 milligrams, but there was, a, there was only a small percentage. And then 60 and then sort of 80 milligrams was an amount that um, wasn't sending them to the toilet, which caffeine can do if you have large amounts of. Um, but there seemed to be a good response at that 80 milligram mark. So yeah, everything that I've formulated has gone through, you know, a lot of research and testing with athletes. Um, it hasn't been just, oh, we'll just put 80 milligrams of caffeine there. It's, it's been, it's been well-tested and that seemed to be an amount I didn't need. I didn't want to go any higher, but I wanted an amount that was going to provide some benefit for the majority of athletes that we were, we were doing the research with. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of seems to colorate to about an espresso shot of coffee, I guess. So that's a, a, a useful kind of metric, I suppose. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, look, there's, there's certainly going to be some different types of athletes out there running Gold Coast Marathon. And, and you've used the analogy that uh, everyone's got their, their own sort of specific engine, just like a race car. Uh, what are the different aspects that sort of make up that engine as why some people can run better and further and faster than others? Yeah, or well, I, like I mentioned before, I think some athletes naturally have a greater storage capacity of glycogen. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just got that height, that fuel that they're able to access at a higher intensity. Um, it's that that switch also from burn, um, from accessing fatty acids for for energy. Now, the research sort of says that at around 60% of your VO2 max, there's a switch from fatty acids to majority glycogen and circulating blood glucose. So you're burning less fat. Hmm. Now, that's an estimate at 60%. So for some athletes, that might happen at 50% of their VO2 max. But for some athletes, it might happen at 80% of the VO2 max. So they can run still being able to access some form of fatty acid, which is, you know, it's a, an awesome energy source, but the, the downside to it is it requires a huge amount of oxygen. And fat in its, the, the, fuel, the fuel source um, doesn't have oxygen in it, the fatty acid fuel source. But carbohydrate or glucose or glycogen 53% of the chemical structure has oxygen. So it's bringing oxygen to the party. So that's the difference. That's why we, we're burning more glycogen and circulating blood glucose at that higher intensity because it's bringing oxygen to the party. It's not having to borrow um, that like fat has to. Mm-hmm. So that's a difference. The, the, other, the other difference is um, just biomechanics as well. Just... Um, someone might be the same height, but they might, their, their femur might be two inches longer. So they just have a, a longer stride and it's, it's, it's more efficient. So there's efficiency there as well. Um, so it, it doesn't come down to the fact that they've, tra- like I said before, trained any harder or prepared any better. They've just got an engine that allows them to operate at a higher intensity for a longer period of time which is hard to compete against. 
No, that's right. If someone's got uh, you know, endless stores of you know, fatty acid utilization, that's, that's certainly going to trump your 240 calories per hour in gel form. That's that's <laughs> that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, but it's that understanding that you know, even though that person might only have two gels during the marathon, um, it might mean that you know the fact that you know I might need four or five, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that. I'm going to run any slower than them. It just means I've realized that I just need to take on a bit more fuel to allow me to to run at that pace. Um, Because if I don't, I'm not going to realize um, the time that I've that I've set. Yeah, you, you talked about uh, another aspect of that engine, and that's stroke volume, so the volume of blood uh, circulating through the body, and that certainly plays a big role in terms of hydration, doesn't it, Darren? Yeah, massively. So stroke volume is basically the, uh, the amount of meals, uh, milliliters of blood that's ejected each each time the heart beats. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine that if your heart's beating, you know, your heart rate's 160 beats per minute, and the athlete next to you, every time their heart beats, they've got three mils of blood more than you in that stroke volume. So over 160 beats, that's 480 mils in that minute, almost half a litre more blood that they're pumping around than you are. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's so many different variables. Um, and, and the thing is, the good thing is, as you get fitter, as you get stronger, you have a greater blood volume, you have... Uh, you're better. You're better. You're more efficient at burning fat and accessing glycogen and circulating blood glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, the pipes that, like your aorta, you, all the pipes around the heart, they start to expand to accommodate that extra blood volume. So there's all these things that are happening that you don't know about. That you know when you used to be able to run five minute k's and now you can comfortably run four minute k's. These are all the physiological changes that are happening to allow you to do that. So you're just becoming a lot more efficient. So that stroke volume one is super important when you think that even three mils per heartbeat is almost half a litre more blood that they're circulating, that they're pumping through, mm. which, is mean, which means there's more oxygen, there's more glucose getting to the muscle than it is for that other athlete that's standing next to you that might be the same size. Mm. So there's uniqueness in um, athletes that can run extraordinary times and they're generally, they, they, they're just naturally put together like that. And, and I guess uh, talking uniqueness, uh, we've spoken about Millie, Millie Clark's superpower of not needing a lot of fluid per, per hour of her, her marathon have you measured some other super superpowers that Millie Clark might possess? Um, no, no. But I would think that to be able to run the, the pace that she does for that period of time, <clears throat> she clearly has an excellent stroke volume. She's pushing a lot of blood for each time her heart beats, um, but also um, the, her glycogen storage and her efficiency um, when she you just look at her when she runs, um, it just looks effortless. It looks like she's not lo- using a lot of energy, which um, is obviously comes down to technique 
um, and just how light she is on her feet as well. And yes. plus she's 45 kilo. <laughs> <laughs> she certainly is lighter on her feet than some, but uh, you're right. She, she certainly makes it look easy. I understand that it's not easy for her and she's certainly burning a lot of fuel. So she's, there's, there's a lot going on there, but it just doesn't look like that from the outside. No, I think another thing that she didn't mention when I asked that question about what makes her, um, or allows her to run that fast is that um, tolerance for pain. Yeah. That's another big one. Some people can just tolerate pain naturally better than others. Um, where others will slow down, they, these athletes may still be experiencing the same amount of pain, but they can still maintain that same pace. Um, Craig, Craig Alexander, the, the Ironman triathlete, have you heard of Crowey, Craig Alexander? Yeah, he, he's a local from my area and we've, uh, yeah. we've had him on the podcast before too, yeah. Yeah, so his ability to tolerate pain is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, that's one of his powers, just one. He's got lots, but that's, that's one of them. It's an interesting sort of uh, confluence of psychology and, and potentially some physiology there in terms of what pain your brain is registering. But uh, yeah, once again, I think it's one of these things that's partially genetic and partially a train effect there. I, I get the feeling Crowe might have a little bit of both. Yeah, he's um, he's got an extraordinary engine as well to back that up. Mm. Certainly uh, getting around pretty quickly still. He's just uh, jumped onto a trail race a couple of weeks ago and, and, and made it onto the podium nearly 50 years old. So he's, he's doing pretty well still, Crowley. Yeah, that was the Noosa. Um, he, uh, he, he admitted that I called him that night and he said, Daz, mate, I got my nutrition all wrong. I'm sorry, mate. I just wasn't expecting it to be as fast as it was. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's... That was another learning experience for him. <laughs> well, you've certainly got a, a reasonable list of athletes you're working with there, Daryl. Uh, it's it's such an impressive thing, and they all speak in such glowing terms of your your research and your knowledge and your help. So, yeah, certainly kudos must go to you for some of these athletes and their performances. Um, who, who's who's next on, on the list of uh, Coder ambassadors for us to interview? You think, Daryl? <laughs> well, I think, well, I'm not sure if you want some motocross guys on here, but um, I'm working with some motocross guys at the moment. Um, and I, I probably a lot of your listeners haven't ridden motocross before, but that is an extraordinarily difficult sport. Mm -hmm. um, just the amount of energy they expend and the amount of information they've got to process so quickly. Um, there's another uniqueness there as well with um, just being able to see things a lot quicker than others do. Um, it's, it's really quite extraordinary, the pace at which they, they travel and are able to make decisions so quickly. It's, um, it's really impressive. Yeah, there's a lot going through that brain quickly. Um, I, I yeah. guess on that, uh, on that motocross aspect, are you measuring calorie expenditure in the same way? I guess the, the brain's sucking up so much of that fuel, sort of even for the normal human, it's sort of 25% of your, your calorie intake. I, I guess that would have to be enormous for them. Spot on, mate. It's, um, it, and you can't measure it either. Um, but 
with these riders, what we do now is that regardless of whether it's a five minute moto or 25 minutes or whatever, it's every time they throw the leg over the bike to go, they'll have a gel mm-hmm. um, because we know that the amount of glycogen that's stored in their liver that's then released into the bloodstream for the brain to access, it gets used up so quickly. So, um, you know, it's, it's also hopefully providing some energy for the muscles, but we're, we're focusing more on the brain for those sorts of uh, events. And you're, you're spot on, extraordinary amount of um, energy used by the brain in that, that type of sport. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and I guess th- there's also a really important hydration component to that kind of person. Like they're wearing plenty of clothing in, in hot environments. How, how much are they losing in an hour, roughly? Yeah, well, that's see, that changes a lot because they can be at one thaggy down in Victoria at one weekend, then up at Mackay the following you know fortnight later. Mm. So this is where you know, they're having an understanding now that their calorie expenditure or the amount of calories that they're going to consume it's going to be the same every time, regardless of what circuit. What will change is in one thaggy where it's cold, they won't be drinking near as much. Conversely, in Mackay, their hydration is going to be super critical. Mm. So that's where um, they make, uh, um, when they are experiencing those sorts of things, the difference in how they back up for each of those motos um, when they get it right, the difference is, is staggering um, yeah. to their performance. So um, we're, we're actually heading up to Darwin uh, in mid-June for the Superbikes and the V8s and uh, the Carrera Cup. Um, so the drivers that I work with and the Superbike riders I work with, hydration is that's you know it's going to be a huge focus for that particular weekend because. Uh, sweat losses at that place is is extraordinary yeah and i guess that those different environmental conditions sort of bring you back to the point we discussed at length in our first podcast that you just need to to break up your hydration from your nutrition because those those components just aren't going to be the same and so if you're trying to access all of your calories and all your fluid in one sort of hit now, you cannot go from Victoria to, to Darwin and expect to perform at you know, your peak performance there. Yeah, spot on. That, that's the key. You, you, when you're mixing everything into the one bottle, um, the message that that particular company is sending is that everyone is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You all need that volume of fluid. You all need those calories and you all need that electrolyte. So we're all exactly the same and the weather conditions never change. That's the message they're sending. And it's, it's really quite frustrating for me that those products dominate the market. It's mm-hmm. something that I really struggle with. Um, having spent so many years researching that sort of thing. And the fact is, if you're not separating your hydration with your calories, you're simply not in a position to be able to address your unique physiological makeup. Um, and then you're not in a position to be then able to change, make changes when you do experience different environmental conditions. So you and I will talk closer to the GC marathon because we can't really give you a hydration strategy until we know what the weather's doing on the day. Um, and then it, it, it may well be out of the box and it could be 32 degrees with 90% humidity. 
And it's going to be a very different strategy to what we're thinking about at the moment, which might be 16 degrees with a you know 70 to 80 percent humidity. So it's something that um, we need to we need to address at the time, mm. but go into that race having an understanding of what your numbers are in those different environmental conditions if things do if things do change. Daryl, I certainly bloody hope it's not 32 degrees. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> but yes, I appreciate that uh, we need to take take heed of those conditions. And and look, I've certainly buggered up a couple of races, six foot track being one of them, uh, because I, I wasn't prepared to change my strategy. Uh, you know, I, I've gotten to the start line. It's much more hot and humid than I expected but I've still just gone into it knowing that I'm going to drink 500 mils of water in this hour and I'm going to have this many gels at this, this time. I just didn't change anything. And I think it caught most of the people in the race out being inflexible with their arrangements there. So I think that's a really valuable uh, lesson to learn is to take heed of those conditions, you know, the night before or the morning of the race and, and you need to, to know what you can do to, to, to change that and, and perform better in the, subsequent conditions yeah that's, that's spot on if you do separate your hydration and calories you can make changes mm. if you've got everything in the one bottle you can't make any changes mm. and you know the thing is you talk about six foot track you talk about uta you need to be changing the volume of fluid that you consume during the day in the morning you don't need to drink as much as the day starts to warm up you start to increase the volume of fluid that you consume as the day gets warmer now, if you're chasing your calories, you're, you're, you've set yourself a volume of fluid that is going to be way too much in the morning when it's three or four degrees and not anywhere near enough in the afternoon when it's 25 or 26 degrees. So um, I think it's the biggest message is that separating your hydration and calories allows you to customize to suit your needs and then adapt to different environmental conditions. That's perfect. It certainly suits me down to the ground. Um, look, Daryl, thank you so much for taking me through the, the process of the, the coat of sweat testing uh, and calorie testing there. It's been really valuable and I'm sure it's going to pay dividends, not just with this race, but moving forward. As you say, those numbers don't change over time. So uh, once, once you've got that sweat ratio organised, you can just apply that to all races uh, ongoing. Uh it, it's certainly been a, a, a very easy process and, and a really professional process from Coda's end. Uh, so, yeah, I certainly appreciate that. And, and also your, your knowledge, once again, it's been great to chat and uh, catch up. And I encourage our listeners to jump on and, and check out Sweat, Think, Go Faster in uh, you know regular book or audio book form. It, it's certainly an amazing uh, piece of information and you'll really get a lot out of it. Very easily digestible science for, for runners and athletes of all kinds. So uh, yeah, jump on and have a look at that. And, and, and certainly don't forget to jump on the CODA website and chuck in your Running Matters discount code, which is in the show notes, uh, to get a discount on some of the great products that CODA do provide. So, yeah, Daryl, thank you once again for your time, mate. It's been amazing. Yeah. No worries, mate. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you go three hours at GC. It's 259.59, mate. I've got it. A- Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you get it done. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. It's been a long road. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. I hope you see cool. some sunshine soon, Daryl. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks, Paul. See you, mate. 